0: Welcome this morning to this pre-recorded meeting for Calvary Church in Brighton for the 5th of July 2020. Uh, We're just emerging from the lockdown regarding the coronavirus but there's still a lot to sort out before we can safely and properly meet together in the way that we used to. We'll keep people updated on that but that's the current situation. We are a church of people who live in the area of Brighton, which is on the south coast of England. We are believers in Jesus Christ. We are a church of uh, 80 or so people meeting together uh, on Sunday mornings in normal times, and we are just ordinary people from different nations and different backgrounds. But we believe that God has brought us together to love him and to serve him, to know his grace and his forgiveness, through Jesus Christ, and we're going to do our best to express that as best we can in this time together just now. So a particular welcome to you if, you, if you've if you just dropped in. Uh, the things that we're going to do are the normal things that Christians do. We're going to sing and pray and read the Bible and have a talk, uh, meditation on what the Bible says and as it applies to us. And uh, I'll just take you through that as we go along. My name is Philip Wells. I'm one of the elders, one of the team of elders here at Calvary, and I'll be leading this morning. Other notices are either on the screen or have been sent out by email. This morning we're bringing, uh, beginning a series, uh, a new series of studies and meditations based on a book in the New Testament. is called the letter to the Hebrews, or at least that's what we call it. It doesn't have that title itself. But uh, it is uh, a letter to Jewish people written uh, just shortly after the time of Jesus and uh, uh, more of that later. There's going to be several quotations from the Bible. So as always, it would be great if you could have a Bible with you to follow along with or perhaps the app on your phone. So let's begin with prayer. O Lord, whoever we are and wherever we are, may we be found drawing near to you and will you draw near to us. May we find living contact with you, the living God, by your word, by your spirit, by your grace. We pray through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. First, For the first part of our time, we're going to think about the glory and wonder of God as our Creator. The Bible roots everything in the fact that God is the personal maker and sustainer of all things. By Him, they have their being. He spoke, and it was. Created things are an expression of the hugeness, greatness wisdom, complexity, glory, and beauty of God. And we as human beings stand in a particular relationship to God, unlike rocks and stars and plants or animals, we're made in God's image and therefore cannot be fully understood without reference to him. And we also have a part to play in reflecting his glory back to him, in uh, displaying his wonder as we are conscious of it, perceive it, and can express it ourselves. So I'm going to read a little bit from Psalm 104. Psalm 104, I won't read all of it, but it is a psalm which describes creation and human, the human place in creation. One of the commentators on this, talks about uh, the world that we're in, and it says it is something that God delights in, charged with his energy and alive with his presence. If only we have eyes to see that. Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendour and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment, He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. And then going down to verse 14. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the storks make their nests, sorry, the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for conies. And then in verse 19, The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. Verse 24, How many are your works, O Lord! In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. And verse 31, may the the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Uh, It's a song which invites us to praise. It says you've got two responses to the God who made us. We can either sin or we can sing. Uh, Let's opt to sing, shall we? And we're going to sing... Uh, The song In Majesty and Splendour. That's the song we're going to sing now.
1: spread. Right.
0: Continue our response to God's word by praying. We thank you that you are the mighty God who has made all things, and we want to come as glad worshippers of our Creator and Heavenly Father. We want to come, giving you glory, giving you thanks, honouring you in your vastness and greatness, in your wisdom, in Uh, the beauty and splendour that belong to you. We come to ask the forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ and your good hand upon us. We pray for our nations at this time where there is still this virus. We pray that our nations may heed the wake-up call that you are sending, but also that in mercy you, O Lord, would protect and save life. We also pray that you would give wisdom, humble wisdom, to all our leaders. May they learn the lessons of humility before the Almighty God. We also pray for particular individuals, perhaps some known to us, who are getting worn down and weary. You, Lord, are the one who sustains the weary. You are the one who leads the lambs and carries them close to your heart. Please do that for your worn down and weary people. And here in Brighton we pray for our church and we pray for the Christian scene in Brighton and Hove. We pray for the larger gospel churches that you would bless them and we pray for the smaller gospel churches too. We particularly pray for New Life Moolscum, Ebenezer Reformed Baptist Church Park Hill Evangelical Church and the Grace Baptist Association Initiative into Brighton. Please guide us and we particularly pray for our own church that at this time you would be particularly um, sustaining of us, enabling us to uh, work things through and to know your leading. Please show us that you are the God of the future Just as you have led us in and provided in the past, that you would do so again for the future. We offer our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue our thoughts with another beautiful and majestic psalm, which is also about God our Creator. It's Psalm 8. This also thinks about the glory of God and the place of humanity in. God's world. And this time, I'll read the whole thing. Psalm 8. It says it's for the director of music, according to Gittith, which nobody knows what that means, I think. It's a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the work of uh, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's the glorious and wonderful Psalm 8. And I want to propose that we sing this psalm also. Uh, the version that I found in our music book, it's at number eight, because the first songs in the book are uh, numbered after the psalms that they are paraphrases of. And I've had a go of producing this uh, musically for us to sing to. The uh, words are are from Scottish psalms, and the tune has a Celtic lilt. Um, It's not a tune, I think, that we know, so there's one instrumental verse to give us a chance to learn the tune. So I hope this will work for you. It's a, a, a bit unfamiliar, but we'll do our best to sing uh, the version of Psalm 8, this splendid
2: psalm. <laughs>
1: i <laughs>
0: So having uh, sung Psalm 8 as best we can, uh, we're now going to have uh, more scripture and Ray is going to read to us the passage that we're going to be looking at, or some of, the, some of it we're going to be looking at this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, he's going to begin at verse 1 and read into chapter 2. Ray, thank you very much for
3: reading to us. The reading is Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 2 verse 5. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so that he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last for ever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay more careful attention, therefore to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking.
2: Thank
0: you for the reading uh, Ray. There's a great deal to think about in that reading uh, and we're only going to nibble at the edges of it this morning. I don't know whether you noticed But the writer, we don't know who who the writer was actually, uh, quoted from a number of sources in the Bible, including a number of psalms and uh, including the ones that uh, we've been singing. Uh, There are more that we're not going to sing uh, this morning, but there are a number of psalms quoted. It's crucial that we understand that as he quotes the psalms, he is actually focusing attention on Jesus, the person with whom he begins his letter. He's saying that the Psalms are like lenses which reflect or focus light into the distance. And the Psalms focus their light forward onto the Messiah, onto Jesus. And they do this in various ways. Well, we're going to focus our thoughts on Jesus, his person, that's who he is, and his work, that's what he's done, And uh, we'll focus that in the devotion of our hearts as we sing, thank you, uh, Jesus, thank you. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend, the agonies of Calvary, you the perfect one, crushed your son, he drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Jesus, thank you. That's what we're going to sing.
1: drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Sacrifice, I've been brought near your enemy. You've made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy, and your kindness. Your enemy Now seated at your table Jesus, thank you Lover of my soul The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once you
0: And now we're going to pray that God would help us as we hear his word. Lord, you have written all things for our instruction, our edification. You choose to bring life through your word, just as you spoke the word to create the world. So now will you speak so as to create and revive life and holiness in us who listen. So help speaker and hearers alike. Amen. We're going to think then about this letter to the Hebrews. And uh, let me introduce it by asking you, what's the best thing in your life? Is it your good looks? Is it your retirement plan? Is it your lovely, beautiful wife, husband? Is it your home? Is it your youthful strength and potential? Well, if you're a Christian and it didn't come to your mind that Jesus is the best thing in your life, then you need to kick yourself and wake up. And that's exactly what the writers of the Hebrews is going to do. So let's look at it together. Let me first tell you a few things about this letter. It was written by a well-taught and wise Christian writer. Uh, we know that because he uh, knows his Bible very well. He quotes Psalms, prophets, uh, Law of Moses, all sorts of places. He knows his Bible very well. And uh, this letter is Christian scripture. Not only does it quote the Hebrew scriptures, but it comes to us as the word of God. It was written to... Christians, or people who professed to be Christians, said they were Christians. They were from a Jewish background, hence the name that got added to it later on. Uh, They had believed in Jesus. The writer refers them back to the early days in 1032. Is that right, 1032? Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground, he says. And they'd suffered for their faith. Uh, 1033. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. So they'd suffered for their faith. But as he writes to them, they're somehow losing their way. They're going back to the Jewish synagogue, going back to the temple. And he uses words like uh, drift, chapter 2, verse 1. We must be careful we do not drift away and in chapter 6 verse 12 he uses uh, expressions to do with laziness or sluggishness Six twelve. we don't want you to become lazy sluggish to imitate but rather to imitate those who, who through faith and patience inherit what was promised so it's a letter uh to get christians moving and stop them slipping back that's something very necessary for us Uh, We know in our own city uh, places that used to be churches, but they somehow declined, slipped away and stopped being churches. And there are people who used to be Christians. Uh, They somehow seem to have stopped. They've lost the plot. They've forgotten. They've gone adrift. And this letter is to say, don't do that. What else do we know about the letter? It contains then promises and warnings. And I remember hearing uh, Dick Lucas very helpfully saying, the mark of the elect is that they believe the promises and heed the warnings. They joyfully believe the promises and they tremblingly take notice of the warnings. That's what God's people authentically do. So if you're not doing both of those, uh, you need to. So it has um, promises and warnings. It says things like this. In chapter four, verse 14, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So he says we've got wonderful benefits. Now, let's hang on to those. So it both shows us a great view of Jesus and his benefits and is very blunt about the need to keep on believing and to keep on obeying. He says uh, rather startling and uh, frightening things like he does in 6 verse 8. Land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in the end is in danger of being burned, uh, being cursed. In the end it will be burned. So he says, he's saying you know, fruitlessness is a very dangerous situation for professing Christians to be in. It's a very dangerous situation. So that's a relevance to us, to keep us walking with the Lord. And if anybody thinks they don't need that, well, they're wrong. And that includes ministers. I remember hearing uh, a course of lectures on Hebrews and uh, wondering what uh, the speaker was speaking of when he said the importance, not just of starting, but of keeping going and finishing. And uh, since that time, well, how many of my ministerial colleagues have fallen away? Uh, One very famous one and um, others are perhaps less famous. But uh, to keep us walking with the Lord. And how does uh, the writer to the Hebrews do this? Well, he certainly argues for the superiority of Christian faith. And he's going to pick up on various themes and take them through. Themes like the invisibility of Jesus. People are going to say, well, what, what use is it having faith in somebody whom you can't see? And uh, he's going to say, well, actually, there's a huge amount of positiveness about the fact that you can't see Jesus, he's gone into heaven. Uh, Other faiths, uh, pin your hope on something visible. And uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, no, that's not where you want to pin your hope. You want to pin your hope on something invisible. He's going to talk about Jesus' humanity. And people are going to say, well, what good is it having a human saviour? He was made like us. He understands us. And the writer's going to say, that's far from a disadvantage. That is a, a wonderful positive about Christian faith. And it's going to talk about Jesus being better. Uh, The word uh, has a root meaning something like more advantageous, more forceful. Uh, And uh, he's going to say that uh, although the Hebrew scriptures uh, are definitely the word of God, they have a function of foretelling something that gets fulfilled in the new covenant. And 12 times he uses the word better. He doesn't use it always in the same sense. But in one verse four, he's going to say, Jesus is um, superior uh, of having a better name than the angels in 719 he's going to say uh, we have a better hope something better to look forward to 722 he's going to talk about Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant and in in 8 verse 6 he's going to say that uh, the ministry that Jesus has is superior because it's founded on better promises. So uh, that's a little idea of the sort of things that the letter's going to cover. And as God helps us, and we pray that God will help us, uh, hopefully we can get a sense of the power and glory and goodness of those things as we go through. And we do want to pray that God will help us with that. Let's come to the very beginning. Um, Why does he start here? Well, obviously everybody starts at the beginning. But um, why does he start in this particular way? Well, let me just say it's not because he wants them to become Christians. It's not in that sense an evangelistic letter. He's not trying to prove uh, that they ought to become Christians. They've already accepted uh, Christianity and its claims that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But I think he starts in this way rather because they've lost the sense of the value of what they've believed. It's become rather indifferent to them, uh, and and uh, they've lost the sense of the specialness of this. And they're saying, is it, is it really so good to be a Christian? And they're saying, can't we get similar benefits some other way? And they're saying, are we missing so much? Are we missing so much if, if we go back to the synagogue and the temple and the priesthood? I mean, it's in the Bible, isn't it? And you can imagine these... Uh, Jewish believers with a granny or auntie uh, who goes to the synagogue saying, oh, come on, you're breaking my heart. Why do you go to that Christian thing? Oh, that Christian thing, there's nothing going on there. Do you want to come where the re- action really is? Back in the temple, back to, back to your heritage. So with that in mind, he begins with a blast of a statement which knocks these questions out of the water. So I like to look at the first few verses with those uh, questions in mind. I'm uh, going to take them actually in reverse order, which is a little bit um, unhelpful of me, isn't it? But we'll start with question three and then question two and question one. Are we missing so much if we go back to the synagogue? Can't we get similar benefits in some other ways? Is it really so good? Well, let's take them. these questions like this then. Number one. Are we missing so much if we go back to the synagogue and the temple and the priesthood? I mean, it's in the Bible, isn't it? So he answers this in verses one and two. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at various times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. He spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But now he has spoken to us through his son. So he doesn't deny or dismiss the Hebrew scriptures and the Moses revelation. He doesn't say that's nothing. Uh, He he has a huge respect for all this tradition, a huge respect for it. But he says the way to honour it is not to stay there in it, but to see what it's pointing to. God spoke to our forefathers, he says, so God spoke. But he contrasts in the past with the now, in these last days. Times have changed. A, um, a a mark, a boundary has been passed. And the whereas the Hebrew Scriptures look forward to a day which is to come, he says those, that day has, uh, in principle, arrived, the final chapter of history before the very future end. That has arrived. We are now in these last days. The high watermark of God's work in this world before the next. And uh, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, It is not to angels that he's subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. Uh, and that's very much his uh, the content of what he's saying, that the, uh, the essence of uh, what God wants us to do is look forward. To the world to come on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ, so you see he's contrasting in the prophets. he uses the word "in with in and he doesn't say in the sun, he just says in sun uh, sunwise He spoke to us in the prophets in all sorts of different ways, but now in sun in the sun. And he's referring to the unrivalled capacity of the Son to reveal the Father. Uh, there's a little uh, example of this which comes to my mind. You might have read the Narnia stories. Uh, in the Prince Caspian, uh, there's an example of the likeness of the Son to the Father. Uh, Prince Caspian has gone off in the boat, the Dawn Treader, to various islands across the sea uh, to meet up with lords and uh, noblemen that his father had sent on a, a mission. And he meets a shipwrecked nobleman, the Lord Byrne, presumably comes from Switzerland. Uh, and he's found by Prince Caspian, who now has to prove his identity as heir to his late father, the king. And how does he do it? Well, he actually does it just by being himself. And uh, the uh, shipwrecked nobleman says this, By heaven, it is his father's very voice and trick of speech, my liege, your majesty. And he recognises the son by the unmistakable likeness to the father. And it's that father-son thing that uh, uh, the Bible beautifully emphasises about Jesus and his father. And that's what the writer of the Hebrews is picking up on here. He's spoken to us. How could he speak any better way through his son? It's the same sort of thing that uh, Jesus himself remarked on. Uh, no, uh, sorry, John's Gospel remarks on. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. No one has access to God, not even the prophets, not even Moses, but the Son who is in the very company of the father, uh, he makes him known, he tells the full story of the father. So are we missing something if we stick with uh, the Old Testament with its foretastes and promises? We certainly are if we just stick with the Hebrew scriptures. So uh, in the Downton Abbey film, if I remember it correctly, they have the uh, opportunity of meeting uh, the king and queen and invitations come through and imagine how foolish it would be to take that wonderful inv- invitation and to cherish it so much that you want the invitation rather than seeing uh, the king and queen themselves in the flesh. Uh, that The invitation is in order to draw people to that personal encounter. And here, Jesus is, as it were, the very face of God in the flesh. And it, uh, surely we're not going to go backwards and prefer that uh, paper invitation to the person himself. So, the Old Testament is the Bible, but we don't just stick with that. We are missing something very much if we don't go forward to what God has revealed in his Son. So, second thing, is Christianity that good? It's akin to the question, aren't all religions much the same? People would say that sort of thing, wouldn't they? They're all much the same. They're all faith groups. They all have uh, holy places and holy books and some uh, devotional activities. They're all very much the same. Now, are they? Well, in case his readers were beginning to think that, the writer to the Hebrews answers this in verses 2 and 3. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the Son is placed as heir of all things, through whom he made the ages, who is the beaming forth of his glory and the exact representation of his being. Bearing up all things by the word of his power, another translation. Now, this is a huge statement which places the sun in the very central flow of all things divine, as follows. Just say that again it places the sun in the center of all things divine. So, let's unpack it a little bit. He is the purpose and goal of everything. It says, he is the heir of all things. Uh, the heir enters and possesses the possessor of all things. He gets everything. Uh, in, in UK law, uh, the inheritor, uh, so uh, mentioned in the will, will get everything minus taxes. Um, but uh, when that's uh, deducted, uh, the rest of it's all his. Now, there are no taxes in this. Uh, Jesus inherits everything. Uh, The Son is the inheritor of all things, the possessor of all things. It's all headed for him. Uh, He's the goal of what it's all about. And it goes on to say, through whom he made the universe. Uh, The Son is the one through whom everything was made. John's Gospel says the same thing. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So you could ask the question, how many things were made without them being made through um, the word, through the Son? And the answer is going to be zero. I got ahead of myself. How does the one God creatively express himself? Through his Son. He makes things through his Son. And how many things did God make without doing it through his son? The answer is zero. Uh, Jesus is in the central flow of all things divine in terms of creation. And here's the very revelation of God. Uh, just putting it in very loosely so that we can grasp it a bit with our imaginations. How do you express yourself? Uh, well, very much through your face. Your face is you. I suppose one of the advantages of doing something like this on YouTube is you can see the face of the speaker. Um, and you have that privilege this morning, seeing my face. So you can see if I'm smiling or frowning or whatever, and I express myself through my face as you do through yours. And we express ourselves in very subtle ways like that. And that's analogous. It's like, how does God express himself? Well, through his son. And only through his Son, he is the outbeaming of God's glory. And he is the exact representation of his being. It's not like God is wearing a mask so that you can't see who he is. But Jesus exactly portrays uh, everything about the Father. So in John's Gospel, when Philip uh, asked uh, Jesus, show us the Father and it will be enough, Jesus replied, do you not know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And, uh, so we talked about Revelation, and uh, the sentence goes on to say, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is the one through whom all things are held in being. Uh, he upholds all things through his powerful word or through the word of his power. As God made everything by his word, so he upholds all things by his word. If you want to have an example of this, uh, we went in Preston Park the other day and some very clever gentleman was juggling, throwing up clubs and balls and things like that. And it was a wonder to behold. And as as the minutes go by uh, and the balls and clubs are constantly in motion, uh, they're up there in the air not to, by themselves, but due to his constant input of skill and effort and muscle power. And so too our universe, with all its movements and comings and goings and actions and activities, it doesn't uphold itself. It is upheld by God constantly. And as we're told here, God upholds by his strong word, and that is the function that the Son has uh, in the Godhead. This too is done in no other way than through the Son. So here's the Son, uh, as we shall just see in a moment. And I'm going to ask is Christianity that good? Isn't it pretty much on a level with Islam or Hinduism or humanism or Buddhism or whatever ism you want to say? Is it? Well, The answer is, look at the person on which Christianity is built, the Son. He is the goal and end of all things. The technical word for that is eschatology, where the world is heading. It's heading to the Son. He was the means of creation, so that brings us under the heading of creation. All things were made through him. He is, as it were, the outshining of God's glory, as I put it in a rather simplified way, the face of God. He's uh, the revelation of God. And he's the upholder of the universe right now. And the theological word for that is providence, God's upholding of all things. So I ask again, are all religions the same? And what prophet or philosopher or guru or seer can possibly say this about themselves? apart from Jesus. A prophet with a two? No, that person can't be the end of all things. A prophet who got ill? No, that isn't the sustainer of all things. One who lived a brief life, whether it's 70 years, 100 years or whatever? Uh, No, that isn't the one who is there from the beginning to the end. And surely, surely, no founder of any religion, no leader of mankind, can touch this one described here, the sun. Unrivaled. Is Christianity that good? It is without rival. It is one of a kind. It is the revelation of God. There's nothing like it, nothing to compare with it. So my third question then. uh, Can we get similar benefits some other way? Can we get similar benefits some other way? I mean, you try your way, I'll try my way. I was a Christian, but I actually find this very helpful or that very helpful. What's the problem there? It's a little bit like saying, um, you know, get such and such. Well, hold on, let's look on eBay and see if we can find it cheaper from China or something like that. Can't we get the benefit some other way that doesn't actually expose us to the persecution and the difficulties that uh, Christianity has done? So let me uh, take two benefits, if I may, which I think are fair to the text. Uh, Forgiveness and security, getting forgiveness. Now, uh, methods of getting forgiveness are some other way. Well, many religions offer forgiveness by achieving, as it were, a good percentage in religious observances. Uh, Now, in in the heart of hearts, people no, we're supposed to get 100% in our religious observances, but maybe, well, if we try our best, won't that obtain forgiveness for us? And in the Hebrews situation, well, they have a very obvious um, candidate for this, uh, to getting these benefits. They are surrounded, they've been brought up with food laws, sacrificial system, um, uh, systems of prayers, systems of devotion, surely Uh, That will give us the same thing, won't it? And uh, my second uh, heading was that of security, which you might sort of say inner peace, a sense that everything is all right, that things are okay, that my situation is in hand. And uh, well, there are many techniques, surely, for this meditation techniques, uh, techniques of altering one's consciousness, uh, perhaps even by uh, therapy or by drugs. control of emotions, Um, surely these will give us security. Well, uh, I know there are helpful methods of thought and there are helpful things that we can think, but my, my question here is whether ultimate security can be got some other way. Well, the sentence that he says is, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Uh, So he provided purification for sins and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on heaven. The purification is a reference to his sacrifice on the cross. Uh, One act which he finished, then he sat down in the sense of Psalm 110, which was read, that's there in verse 13, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So he sat down, having finished his work. Now, uh, when you have work to do, uh, you finish it before you sit down, don't you? You wouldn't get halfway through digging the garden and stop and have a cup of tea and have a nice sit down. Well, actually, you might. But uh, Jesus, the fact of his sitting down... Uh, is much more significant because he sits down because he's finished the work and he sat down at the right hand of God, the place of kingly power. So let's just uh, look at those two benefits, forgiveness. He, it says, provided purification for sins, or if you want, he made cleansing for sins. It's the word um, that we get cathartic from, um, to, to clean, to cleanse to clean the conscience and uh, the important point here is it's not a a manufacture by us but an achievement by him something that he finished that's why he sat down he finished it he did it there is nothing more to add there is nothing for us to do he didn't get halfway through and say over to you he finished it he did it and that means that christian faith is in essence an act of simply receiving something that's given as a free and complete gift and if we ask can we get the benefits some other way can we get free and full forgiveness achieved for us in completeness? surely the answer is no no there's no other way no other name no other way and uh, my second thought here was security meaning as i've obviously said a well-founded sense that all will be well that all is in good hands and that there is care uh, for us and there is that caring person has power to do what is needed um, what what is needed by us what we need in other words what needed for us perhaps i should say and uh, that's where a sense of peace will come from and here we're told he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Well, that place where he sat down is not, as we might sit down with a cup of tea in front of the telly, but he sat down at the epicenter of all power, the throne, the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And if he's there, uh, that means that he's there. Actually, it carries this implication. He's there for us, that he is there arranging things for his people. The people for whom he died are the people for whom he sits at the right hand of God. Um, and we're told uh, he, he is enthroned for the church. It's there in Ephesians chapter 2. And seeing as I've mentioned it, I might as well quote it to you properly. He is seated. And can we sensibly get this benefit of peace and security some other way? Surely the answer is no. There is no one else at the right hand of God. There's no other place like being at the right hand of God. And if Jesus is there for us, there is no better way, and in fact, nothing, anything like it, to give us security. So here's uh, our summary of these first uh, few verses that introduce the uh, letter to the Hebrews. Can't we stick with the Hebrew scriptures? Well, no, they're like an invitation to the wedding. They only make sense if you go there in person to follow up on the invitation. Is Christianity all that good? Mm, Is it? Well, just look at the founder and central personage. There is no rival to him. The faith that rests on him is the faith to have. So is Christianity all that good? I mean, that's such a ridiculous question, isn't it? It's surpassing brilliant to be a Christian. And can't we get the same benefits some other way? That's what they're saying. Come back to the synagogue. Come back to the temple. You get the same things as you would get in that Christianity. Well, no, you don't. Um, forgiveness. He is the provider of that. And security, eternal security, he is the provider of that. There is no conceivable alternative. There's nothing like him, no one like him, and nothing like the benefits he brings. So, if you'd lost sight of how brilliant it is to be a Christian, please take note. And if you were thinking of turning back and of not bothering or of giving up, or of sliding quietly away into sin, or if you had forgotten that Jesus was the best thing in your life, now is the time to give yourself a good kick. And if I can end a talk like that, I will say, Amen. Well, we thank God for being able to hear his word. And in a moment I'll close with a prayer and then we will play out with a song which goes to the heart of the message of the letter to the Hebrews about the priesthood of Jesus and says before the throne of God above I have a strong, a perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love who ever pleads for me. This is the way the writer to the Hebrews Ends his writing. And this is the prayer with which we'll close. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Well, Amen. And uh, we play out with, before the throne of God above, I have a strong a perfect plea. And uh, that's it from me. So goodbye to you and hope to see you soon.
3: Goodbye. <laughs>